0: Everyone has a story, but not everyone is a storyteller.
1: Hello, my name is Karen Tang, Ren,
0: And my name is Ahmed Nomadic Ali. Welcome. You're listening to Otherwise Wisdom from the Other.
1: A podcast dedicated to empowering diverse communities living on Treaty 6 territory by sharing stories of their lived experiences. This episode is recorded on July 21st, 2021.
0: Well, hello again, Karen. How are you doing?
1: I'm very good. Eid Mubarak to you and your family.
0: Eid Mubarak to you as well. Thank you very much. What's new?
1: Well, you know, it's the steady, steadiness. This is, you know, still still running in this marathon. We've been um, fairly busy, you know, with the forest fire, with the smoke in the air. It hasn't been super great for being outdoor for too long, uh, but we managed to get a few, you know, community conversations going this past couple of weeks, I uh, even managed to host a little, a sharing circle with um, a local knowledge keeper, Lloyd Cardinal, who facilitates something for our team uh, in, because I, I think sort of in the midst of all the busyness, I think you never know what's going on with people and never know what's going on with people on your team. And uh, we just kind of took a moment to slow down and uh, to regroup, to regroup within ourselves. And uh, it's just a nice reset button. So I will say that was a highlight for me in the couple, last couple of weeks. What about you?
0: Um, Honestly, I know this sounds weird being alive. Things are just great. I'm grateful for every opportunity really to be around uh, with my family and get to do what I love, which is poetry and art. And so just um, being able to actually go and see my family now without having a worry or having COVID at the back of my thoughts. And also being among a lot of uh, other Muslims and praying and uh, feeling the vibe of that, reminding myself that we are creatures of community. So that's that's a highlight. Yeah,
1: and, and and we can hug now. My gosh Yes,
0: we can. Yes, we can. I have to
1: say, the first time I did it, it was it was kind of awkward. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it feels different. It feels like you're doing something you shouldn't be doing. Right. You know, you, you look over your shoulders. You're like, wait a second, should I? have uh, But yeah, but we're back. We're back to the normal human um, interaction again, which is awesome.
1: Yeah. And so and our episodes are live now, which is really exciting. And they're gonna, uh, you know, people can access them from a variety of places so where you normally access your podcast, but also the, the Ribbon Rouge website. You know, when I'm out in the neighborhood, you know, every time we do a, you know, a literature drop or uh, whether it's door knocking, we always make a point to visit uh, the local strip mall, you know, Mill and the sort of the, the 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 southeast is characterized by these strip malls within each neighborhood. They they might have your local laundromat, you might have a, a convenience store, liquor store, you know, definitely a restaurant. Sometimes a coffee shop, uh, often a daycare. You know, there's small businesses, and. When I'm there, you know, it's really, it's, you can feel sort of the importance of this little hub within the neighborhood and and the importance and the amenities and the services it brings to the local residents. And I guess that's kind of what I want to, I hope we can maybe chat about today is this idea of local businesses, the local economy and the vibrancy uh, it contributes to our city.
0: Hey, yeah. By local economy, if I'm uh, not mistaken, you mean just uh, making sure that the money that is being used within the city stays in the city for as long as possible. An example of that would be something like uh, I go to a restaurant that's local, owned by a local um, somebody from Edmonton, and then they get their groceries or whatever their supplies from local Edmonton businesses, and then the people who are hired are from the local community. So what it does, it essentially uh, makes sure that that. I guess the money is seeing within and building the city and the capacity of the businesses within our city.
1: Mm-hmm. And then all the the impact of the you know of the revenue that it generates isn't just you know a financial return, but it has a huge impact in the local community. And I think any city you go to, and I'm sure you have some you know favorite places in the world. If you think about those places uh, that we go to, there's some things that come to mind right away. You know, Montreal, for example, is a very it's one of my favorite cities. and I go there, I think about all these cafes, you know, all these bookstores, these secondhand clothing stores that makes that place very special and unique. When I think about Edmonton. And when I specifically think about the Southeast, I think there are certain shops, certain businesses that make that part of the city different, you know, from other parts of the city.
0: That's right. People know Millwoods and Castledown. There's no question about that. Another great example, and I try to do this as best as possible, especially when I'm running for elections, is that I try to make sure if I'm getting printing stuff or if I'm requiring some type of ad agency, that I work towards people who are within Edmonton already so that I can make sure that, one, I'm building the capacity of those who I already know who are doing this and need support, but then also extend their networking to some of the folks that might not necessarily know them. And because in all honesty, we all are really closely tied to somebody who owns a business or has family who That's owns right. a business. So back in the days, it used to be bartering, right? I give you my eggs, you give me your, your, your goat milk, and, and now we continue to trade amongst each other for things within the city. And then it helps the farmers. But if it escapes that and you're not supporting another person from another city, it doesn't necessarily help build the capacity or the resilience.
1: Yeah. Of the businesses within that city. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know this past uh, you know year and a half, two years with this sort of the economic downturn uh, with COVID uh, has such like such tremendous impact, negative impact on uh, small businesses, especially. One of the projects I worked on in the early onset of COVID was brokering you know a partnership between you know a, a private foundation and a local uh, bank institution uh, to find a way to support. Small businesses to transition online, and often you think about those who are most readily for that kind of transition are, they tend to be younger entrepreneurs. They tend to be more central, like downtown or Ostrathcona, um, things that have a really good social media prep presence, you know. But that's not everybody, and that's a very actually a small proportion of the the, the business we have in our city. And often, there's actually, I remember this past year, there's a number of supports, like business supports that came out, whether it's from the city or from different programs. And I've had some conversation with those folks about how are you getting this information out? You know How do business know that you're offering free online digital support out of the School of Business with the U of A, for example? And oftentimes they will say, "Well, we we go through you know the business improvement area or the BIAS. There there tend to be associations and and they're funded through a particular you know fee of businesses within a certain geographic area, and we have thirteen of those in the city, um, and they're not they don't cover the entire city, and so." where I'm running for elections in the southeast and it's actually out of those districts so how do those businesses get that information not to mention a lot of those entrepreneurs are newcomers you know new- newcomer immigrants where english might not be their first language and so access to information uh for for these kinds of support over you know over the past year especially has become a sort of a huge focus for me
0: yeah that's um very well put because it seems like How do these businesses get supported and getting uh, better? And as we were talking about earlier as well, I think we're just chatting offline, is that privilege means access to information and opportunity. If there are people who have businesses in Edmonton and who can uh, apply to contracts or even grants to try to um, provide the city a service, firstly, they have to know that that exists. And if your day to day job is to thrive and you don't have those business associations, by the way, I don't think there's one in the area I'm running as well. You're right. And so if you don't have somebody who can provide you that information and that support, or say if you have issue with hiring or if you have issue with advertisement, if there is a unified voice that can speak for you and has a centralized uh, area where you can gain that information, it's a lot easier for you to succeed and to become somebody who provides services to a lot. I guess to a higher capacity but those challenges exist because often uh, the way we approach or the way they are approached um i don't have the details there may be a lot more challenges to than just what i'm saying but again it just seems that the privilege and the information is for those who already have access and then just capitalize on those things because when people come to our city what, what do they look at? They don't look at the, like the big restaurants. They try to find something local. So whenever we have people who are foodies coming to our town, or we have travel folks who are on TV coming down, they speak to in specific individuals and they go to specific venues. And it's those venues that make the city. And how do we provide more opportunity for more restaurants? Because Edmonton keeps winning barbecue competitions. Um, they keep winning pizza competitions. We have a lot going within our own city. I think it's just finding a way to benefit them so that they can benefit us. And it's just a never-ending cycle in that sense. Mm-hmm.
1: I was just looking up this uh, stats. We have a lot of small businesses, um, about 34, thirty-five thousand 35,000 businesses in Edmonton. And, you know, I learned this a long time ago, but we, ha- we also have one of the largest chamber of commerce in the country. And chamber of commerce tend to be sort of a, a voice for small, medium enterprises. And the fact that we're the biggest actually just means we actually have a lot of uh, small media enterprises, and that's kind of our you know our power engine to our economy for our city. And recently, I was following some threads on Twitter where like small businesses are so anxious about interacting with the city, and in fact, they you know when, once you get in there, it's very hard to navigate, and it's disempowering. And I'm finding that as a consistent theme. Uh, whether you know it was transit or that we were talking about last week or whether it's about your business permit or license or whatever it is that, what a kind of even basic questions that you might have about your sector or your industry people hesitate to interact with the city and that's not a good sign you know
0: yeah no you're you're 100% right most recently i shared an article with you um just speaking about this whole thing about the challenges of businesses um also uh, I, I could be Mistaken here. My understanding is that businesses out in Castle Down in the Millwoods pay some of the or contribute the most to the city in terms of property taxes. And quite a few of those businesses are Shisha spots. And so Shisha is, people don't necessarily just go to the Shisha lounge for Shisha. They go for food, but because Shisha is there, they often go there. And I'm speaking to somebody who's done Shisha in the past. And I'm not saying I'm pro shisha at all here or uh, I'm anti shisha. What I'm trying to get across is the article that I shared is that they gave special permit or privileges to cigar lounges. Who often associates with those type of lounges when you're more well off, you're more wealthy and you got time to do these things? And they were allowed to do that because they were going to change their ventilation or whatever. I feel like I don't know if the shisha lounges got the same type of shake, same type of understanding that they could work towards making it healthier or having a specific area that they could smoke in or whatever it may be. But the challenge is, is that Shisha has been banned and it's going to create challenges for businesses who rely on customers coming in for Shisha because people are going to do Shisha regardless. But so not having a way to really understand and approach those diverse and um, ethno-cultural communities or restaurants or businesses in a way from uh, understanding them rather than this is what needs to be done. But how do we support you in getting better at this? Because this is what we want to get to. How do we get you there? I don't know if that's what would happen. It was more like a, this is the bylaw. This was being passed. Now you got to adhere to this.
1: Yeah. And I think that's an important question, right, is as we move forward, what can the city do to actually enable, empower towards a more equitable uh, economic recovery, and I feel like the example you illustrate is actually some of the you know inherent perhaps inequity in how some some of the businesses are treated uh, depending on I guess the type of business you know who runs it and and what geographic area are are they in in the city.
0: Yeah, so the influence that, uh, that they might have connected to the government, and unfortunately, not a lot of people who come from diverse communities are connected to government. So it seems the people that benefit from the support or the contracts or the information the government provides are often those who aren't from diverse communities. And if you think about it, what makes a city more livable is the communities, and those communities are based on, one, the engagement that those communities have uh, within themselves. Also, if we talk about the 15-minute cities, I think a lot of these diverse restaurants and grocery stores contribute to that, but I think they're part of the solution. Uh, going back to that whole local economy thing where we support within among each other and try to buy from each other or barter or whatever it may be so that you can collectively grow together. I think that's very essential. I think another example of that is 118. It did a really good job of reshaping that whole area and how it was viewed. And that place has a lot of businesses that are very diverse and they contribute to the beautification of those neighborhoods. The diversity within those neighborhoods is what really changed how that neighborhood was looked at. Yeah, yeah they contribute tremendously to it. I think it would be important to know, find a better system in supporting the local economy.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the 15-minute neighborhood, which, you know, in case um, if you're listening and you don't know what that is, it's really about living uh, in a neighborhood where you you can walk or bike, or roll to a very nearby amenity or service, all within a fifteen-minute range. Um, and actually, a couple of weeks ago, we when, for one of our virtual community conversations, I spoke with our friend Haika, Haika Chima. She said, you know, for a lot of our ethnocultural communities, these fifteen-minute n- neighborhoods, they aren't like these extraordinary concepts or brand new concepts in fact for many of us back home or even now like it is how we live and for a lot of these communities members we you know we move down to a certain part of the city because of those amenities that are very culturally relevant to us they are nearby and so you know for her she can do her shopping she can get food she can go to prayer or or cultural institutions all within actually that 15 minutes. Um, And that actually reminds me also of, you know, for a long time, we talk a lot about food desert in the downtown core, but for someone like me, when I go to Chinatown, it's it's, like, vibrant. There's so much food opportunities there, whether it's, the lo- like, very local grocery stores, like Kin Fat and Lucky 97, or, you know, you have your butcher, you have your restaurant, you have – it's a very – they make the neighborhood very livable. But maybe not everyone is familiar enough with this kind of, like, you know, diff- it's, they're different, right? They're not your usual – Big corporate you know, grocery stores, maybe they're unfamiliar. Maybe because they're unfamiliar, only a certain type of clientele. But again, if, if we just got to know our neighbors a little bit better, businesses are neighbors within a neighborhood. That also opens up a lot of opportunities for livability.
0: That's a very good point. Again, going back to how can the city support these ethnocultural uh, communities? Because a lot of them may not have the answer, but they've been working towards the answer for a long time right, supporting each other in Chinatown, for example, the businesses that are there that are diverse in their practices but still support each other. Uh, going back, I used the Arts Council as an example. I found that the Chinese community uh, didn't often apply for grants. However, they were putting forward the best operas and the best dance and, and, and symphonies, and they were putting these things together. And my, I always wanted to know, how was that possible? And again, it goes back to the local economy thing. They were supporting within themselves and finding business. And I'm not saying it's perfect. That's not what I'm saying here, y'all. I'm saying that that, was, that exists that they found a structure or a method to support each other to create these big events. And I'm, and I'm certain uh, the city doesn't have to go too far out to find some of these solutions. It's just really connecting with these diverse communities and making them part of the process of thinking because the city isn't separate from the communities, it's an extension of that. Mm-hmm. And these neighborhoods are the organs and what carries those organs is the local economy. How do we support each other to help sustain and grow different parts so that we can all live healthy. And in addition to that, when we talk about healthy living, 15-minute cities really contribute to better health, better walking. Because a lot of times if you can walk both to your uh, prayer, you can go walk to your place of prayer and also then walk to the market and then you can walk back home, that's you living a healthy life rather than having to drive for 45 minutes to get to somewhere to pray and then have to drive 20 minutes to go do something else
1: i totally hear you about some of the communities like the chinese community that they're they're able to put on so many uh, events amongst themselves because they rely a lot on sponsorship of you know whether it's like the chinese accountant or you know the the financial broker or a restaurant or just just businesses within or business people within that particular community. And I think you see similar kinds of stuff with other ethnocultural communities. And, you know, communities are resourceful and they can they can figure out a way to make things happen for community members. And I think the role of the city is how can we make it a little bit easier for people to really see themselves as part of the city, for them to see, you know, a, a working relationship with the city. And, and the city is not just some you know, standalone institution that's that's holds bylaws to yeah, make sure you're exactly, doing everything right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: No, you're you're right. It's finding out those if the city or us as citizens have contributed to the challenges that exist right now. Was it intentional? It's just it's just trying to find out the details behind this thing so that we can make it more effortless and more collaborative is important to ask these questions. Because if we're not asking the questions and we're not really trying to dive deep into why we it's not to say it's not say it doesn't exist but how do we put that on a grander scale so that we can really support businesses It's just to find all these questions and ask is, does it exist to what level does it exist was it uh, implemented intentionally because I don't have access to the contracting system or to any of what the city is doing so I can't speak on their behalf but I know with a lot of the boards that I s- sat on or do sit on it's very challenging for people to find this information it requires a certain level of of privilege to really know these things. Once you're in, you're in, but the challenge of getting in is very difficult. So just finding out how to make it more effortless and easy for everybody to feel like they're either part of it or that they can actually benefit from it and they don't feel us too much.
1: Yeah. And, and I think all this, everything that we're talking about brings me back to kind of, I think where we started at the top of the the show today is around this idea of the business improvement areas. Now, there's a history of of why we have 13 and why they are where they are, um, and why certain areas don't necessarily have a business improvement district or area, however you want to call them. I think the language now is business improvement areas. But I think most people don't really know why that is the way they are. And and I, while I think, you know, those strategies are important because you get to stimulate certain parts of the city. But I think it does leave out a lot of natural groups like Muslim-owned businesses, which are just spread out throughout the city, or even Chinese-owned businesses that are outside of Chinatown, which is, you know, overseen by the Chinatown Business Association. And, you know, just along sort of my months of talking to businesses and talking to community members uh, in, in in the war got a heal where I'm running. People have kind of brought out a lot of these ideas of, well, what if there was a Millwoods Chamber of Commerce? Or what if there's sort of a business advisory council for the Southeast? Because there's all kinds, you know, we're, we're talking about small businesses, mom and pop shops, to large corporate, to manufacturing, to just basic uh, research and development companies you know, how are they represented uh in voicing their feedback when it comes to economic development policies, which the city just released not, not too long ago. So those are some of the things that's kind of been been surfacing for me. And it's it's always about how do you amplify voices? And oftentimes as candidates they tell you, well, business don't vote. So make sure you focus on people who vote. And actually for me, I think because businesses are such intrinsic part of a neighborhood, of a community. They have employees and their their employees are connected. They have such a wide network and- People trust them. Exactly, and they have ideas too, even though they don't vote, but they have ideas about how to make our communities better. So I actually see um, business group as a very important, critical part um, of, uh, of the constituency.
0: Whoever told you that should take a break because <laughs> businesses are made by people. It's the people that are important. Yeah. And those people do vote. And it's important to remember that those are voting citizens. Um, This is not me attacking Scott McKean whatsoever, but I recently read both him and Mike Walters were on Edify, if I'm not mistaken. And Scott McKean was talking about how the budget currently is, is at a very challenging spot. And that whoever is the city council next is gonna have to deal with some really serious challenges in terms of finances. And one thing he recommended is, not recommended, but he stated we make it to the point where Uh, citizens are the ones who need to plant gardens or take care of the, the, the city gardens or whatever the lawns or whatever it may be. And I find that a little bit the opposite way. The fact that we've even gotten to the point where we're concerned and now we have to rely on citizens to do the city job that we're supporting in terms of our taxes. I understand, but it needs to be both ways. If the citizens felt for the longest time that the city was giving to them, contributing to them and helping build their gardens metaphorically i don't think citizens would have an issue in doing the opposite but then now it would feel something like that now because the city is in a crunch and i don't blame the city whatsoever it's 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 a lot more challenging when it comes to these things because it's the whole way we the province and the federal government we work these things is just it's it's messed up in of itself but for me personally i think the city should always be forward thinking and be ready for situations like COVID or whatever it may be and maintain uncomfortable because it feels like the, there's always that catch up, whether it be supporting businesses or the LRT or um, making sure that specific neighborhoods get better transit or the 15 minute cities. It seems like that everything's planned for that moment on and not necessarily for what's to come.
1: Well, and I think some of these decisions are not necessarily mutually exclusive, right? So, for example, you know, in in developing a social procurement policy internally at the city, which has been going on for, you know, the past few years, facilitated and led by End Poverty Edmonton, because the idea is to, you know, to create a way to support, uh, you know, local businesses, whether it's contracting service or, you know, catering or whatever it is, that's for the city of Edmonton internally, you are actually hitting multiple outcomes of, you know, economic stimulation, you are uh, hitting outcomes of, you know, ending poverty, Uh, you know, you're uplifting perhaps people who are who are in lower income situations. And overall, I think you're boosting uh, the system to be better and building back better. And that work is still ongoing. But imagine, where that policy is in place. And in fact, I will say, and I think I've heard you talk about this a little bit, our, you know, our, our campaign right now is really kind of practicing the kind of social procurement that we like to see, procuring specifically with businesses in the ward, you know, but still doing our due diligence so that it's, it's not just settling, it's about you know, supporting and defining those quality services for the best outcome.
0: Yeah. And speaking about one example of just to go to positive, the total opposite of talking about in in terms of us having a plant gardens or whatever it may be, it's the Nook Cafe. Shout out to Lindsay and Lindsay and her family. Uh, That's a perfect example. So they're dealing with a lot of financial challenges because of COVID that happened, I'm assuming and they're dealing with the challenges of getting people into the, uh, to the, the building physically. But they've always thought about other folks as well. They don't necessarily just think about their business. They have to the pass it forward where whoever's buying a coffee or a meal or whatever can contribute to somebody else's coffee and they can move it forward. So in essence, what you're doing is you're extending your kindness through the business who's being conscious of the location that it's in and contributing to a better environment, which essentially leads to better communication, relationship building. And when you have relationships built with individuals from neighborhoods, then you build an actual community. And I think that's what's important about it is about building community and making sure that whatever it is, it's almost like compost. You use something, say you eat a banana, you put it in your compost pile, eventually you use that to fertilize your soil. It's your, the point is to try to benefit as many folks within your community, your city as possible so that collectively we all rise um, and the answers could be found. Because of the networks that already exist,
1: there's actually a lot of businesses in Edmonton that are just like Lindsay, and sometimes they might feel like they're working in isolation, you know, trying to support the community at large. Um, but I actually met Lindsay through, uh, you know, my a previous project I worked on at the city called the Recover uh, Urban Wellness, focused on the downtown core. And uh, through that work, you know, uh, she really spearheaded this particular uh, what we call prototype. It was a small test about what. You know what could happen what might happen it was called socially conscious business um, which you know as a business what are some of the socially conscious practice you could be doing to to enable and um, to improve the, the community the neighborhood around you and she was really passionate about that and and now she's working with reach edmonton to develop a wider network providing resources so businesses don't have to feel like they're so alone that they know that they're that they're supported and, in fact, I would say out out of a project like that, which was a you know what we call social innovation initiative that's really about doing things just a little bit differently. You know we're not talking about overhaul, but we're talking about things doing things a little bit differently, building a different kind of relationship between city employees and residents. so there was a number of you know these small tests, these small projects, prototypes we call them. Uh, That had to do with business. So socially conscious business was one of them. There was another one in Old Strathcona area about connecting people with lived experience who are marginalized with local businesses through casual labor. And at the end of the day, it wasn't so much about the business itself or giving someone just a job. It was actually about relationship building. It was building a different kind of relationship that can benefit, you know, the wider community. And that's also exactly what the Nook is doing uh, through, through their day-to-day operations. So kudos to them and to all those um, who are striving to really, you know, uh, not just operate a business, but trying to do so much more.
0: And, and, and also, I will say that it's not, when we say local businesses, let's not just think about food or print shops or certain contractors. There's a lot of arts businesses as well i know at the breath and poetry we may not have been incorporated or whatever but we made it a priority to be considerate of where we were who we were serving and be ready to serve anybody at any time so when we were looking for a space we recognized that we don't have the finances to get a really big space and then dictate how much we pay or who we pay and so we looked for local businesses who were ready and welcoming to open their arms and to say hey We don't need a relationship with you based on money or finances. We need to make sure that we are getting our ends meet, but we want to make sure that you are also contributing to the arts community by doing art, because this is valuable. So Lindsay welcomed us with open arms and did not say, you need to give me money. But I made it a priority that whenever we were there, I invested in making sure that people bought, purchased, and supported the venue. And the whole purpose of us being there and bringing out however, however many, I think, say give or take 20 to 40 people a week and making sure that they're there on Tuesday and they're supporting the business, it it, it feels good to know that one, you're not taking away from their business process, but you're also supporting their growth because you're bringing people who may not have ever heard of Nook, but love poetry and vice versa. People were there for Nook for coffee, but never heard a spoken word. So again, that's community building, access to information and opportunity. You may have been a poet and never knew that this existed. Now you do.
1: And do you remember that's where we first met? At the, oh yeah. Yeah, for for this other podcast we were that's doing. Right. So it's a place where people come together. It's amazing. And uh, yeah, small businesses are a, a crucial feeder for you know our economy oftentimes when we think about these larger corporations, uh, including StanTag and Clark Builder. And and I'm thinking construction because, you know, I got an LRT construction going right through the war, so it's very top of mind for me. But a lot of these big corporations they do depend on small businesses to develop the talent um, they depend on it's a whole it's a whole network you know um and we've spoken a little bit about this idea of uh, circulating you know money whether it's money resource talent kind of locally and one of the things i've 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 come to learn from other cities like calgary or even South Spring Island, um, is this idea of complementary currency, which is uh, not a Canadian dollar, but it, it might be a local uh, currency. So in Calgary, for example, it's known as Calgary dollar. If we were ever to have one in Edmonton, it might be called Edmonton dollar or Yeg dollar, who knows? And that is like such a tremendous way of circulating that money locally. And if anybody's interested in this, I, w- I am happy to chat on, on about it because I think it's, it has so much potential for Local economy for kind of more of the social aspect, um, I think it's a gateway for universal basic income, um, and I I think it's a way for even, hey, who knows, ending poverty.
0: One thing to add as well, when we think about local economy, there are individuals within our communities who access these businesses. And without these people, these patrons, the businesses would not succeed. So, again, when we think about the local economy, we also need to think about mobility and accessibility, right? That's important as well, because to get there to these specific businesses and support them, I think they need to be, A, ready to um, welcome people who may use a wheelchair or who are unable to climb stairs or so being considered of these things as well is very important in the local economy, because we want to make sure to liven up the whole purpose of the, what we're talking about and the stuff that we talk about and otherwise is to grow the city collectively in a way that everybody is benefiting and everybody is contributing to a certain degree. And that not is based on access to this information and that the due diligence isn't being made to welcome in as many, different businesses and folks as possible, is to really benefit our city. The city only gets better when there are more voices and more perspectives present.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think we kind of touched on this earlier around even the 15-minute neighborhood. And I don't know about your ward, Ahmed, um, but I know in mine, it's predominantly you know suburban. And one of the things is like, People do move to the suburban because it is actually accessible to a lot of you know services and shops and schools and places of worship and that kind of stuff. But you still have to get to most places by car. And if we can provide more accessibility to those amenities, including businesses that are closer to home, you can get all your errands done just through walking. That is going to be a better neighborhood.
0: And how do, you, how do you incentivize businesses, right? How do you give them an incentive to build a specific... The North needs a lot of more businesses. We need mental health service support. We need better recreational stuff. Like, There's a lot that we need. How do we incentivize the business folks and the developers to come here? Because there is an opportunity to be had. It's just, I guess... Building that, because you know what they say is, when you build it, they'll come. Poetry is another example that I use all the time. The first couple of years, nobody was coming out for poetry. But people knew we were there. Eventually, just because it was a regular thing and people just knew it was there and they didn't have to do any work to find out whether it was there or not, they'd show up on a random Tuesday and be like, oh, hey, nice to see you here. It's that accessibility of knowing something exists and not that, I guess, the constant change-up of how something's done, the way it's approached, but being consistent with the language and the process so that we can support businesses in flourishing, but also support specific neighborhoods to get better bigger and better.
1: Well, I feel like we can keep going uh, for a long time about this topic. There's so much to say. Let's give some shout outs. Who is some of your favorite businesses in the city or you know in your area in your neighborhood?
0: I've always whenever I was downtown, uh, cafe Remedy was always a, a good place to go because there were always so many people that I knew there. And that's what I really liked about that. And um, also the food is culturally diverse. Really, my taste buds thank me for that. But there's uh, also a few other, we go to the, the Italian market often to get their dough for the pizza because nobody makes it like them specifically the Italian center downtown. So they're, they're a very cool spot as well. Um, let me think of a few more. What about you?
1: Yeah, you know, I spend a lot of my day, my time in, you know, in the Southeast in and- in Millwoods the these days. And whenever I'm out, uh, I I make a point to stop by, you know, whether it's coffee cafe, uh, or Punjab, you know, the, the street food, and uh, I always pick up something, uh, because I just think, in this part of the city, we have some of the best uh, South Asian food. And coffee cafe, by the way, you know, in the first time I ran for city council back in 2017, that was the location where we actually launched our our campaign as a first-time candidate. So it has a special meaning and, uh, you know, they're dear friends and um, and they're, you know, opening back up, which is great. Um,
0: I, they're, in the, they're in the ward, um, in my ward specifically, in Testa-Winowoc. Uh, Instapita is fantastic cuisine. And also their Castle Baked Pita, which isn't necessarily in the ward, but we've been going there for their meat pies for a long time. And they make some mean, mean meat pies. Um, they're a fantastic business and family-owned business
1: as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's making me hungry. Well, it was always nice to talk to you, obviously, and uh, I'm glad we can check in periodically and chat about the things that are important to to both of us, but also things, the stories that we're seeing and hearing on the campaign trail.
0: Likewise, and uh, to the listeners, thank you very much for taking the time to listen. Remember, we're not pretending to be experts here. We're just local community members who are trying to do better for our city. If you have some advice to guide us towards some new learning and knowledge, we're always ready for that. And we really thank you for taking the time to listen, because otherwise it just be myself and Karen talking to ourselves. So thank you very much.
1: I want to do a, a plug. I recently just published a blog uh, around my, some of my thoughts and ideas around diversification, innovation, and the local economy. If you are interested to learning more about what that looks like or what that might look like in the Southeast, check out uh, karentain.ca.
0: Thank you very much, everybody. Remember, everyone has a story, but not everyone is a storyteller. Please share yours. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Lisa Pruden with direct support and guidance by Omar Yakub. Music produced by KazMega. Otherwise, Podcast is an affiliate member of the Operative Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported.
1: Special thanks to Megan Robinson Anagore, Jenna Moji, and Molaoshe-Pikan, who are co-founders and contributors to season 1 of the Otherwise show, done with the support of the Ribbon Rouge Foundation.
0: You can find past and current episodes at ribbonrouge.com/otherwise-show. To follow our journey, you can check us out at Karen Tang, YG and Nomadic on Twitter and Instagram.
1: Or at our websites, quarantain.ca and ahmedali.ca. Thanks for joining. See you next time.